Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. He minus 37 seconds. The fight is going to equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure. We are live, live in the studio right here in Phoenix, Arizona on the Voice America Variety Channel. I'm joined by my co-host for the day, Mr. Len Novin. Len, welcome. Hey, it's a great day to be in the studio. It is. It's Friday. Oh, it is finally Friday, and I love what we have on deck for the show. Frequency, frequency Friday. Yes, I'm all (laughs) fired up. I'm feeling good, and we're going to be feeling even better from this guest. Thank you once again for having me co-host with you. I I love being a pinch hitter. You know what? Um, I think we have good synergy when we do the shows. Uh, The last show that we did on this topic was was widely accepted. We had in the first 12 or 15 days of the show being delivered over 20,000 downloads, um, and to date almost like 80 some odd thousand so far from when it actually launched until now. So we're doing very well with that show. It's exciting. Well, I'm excited about it because we're helping people with with this discussion point, with this conversation piece and what we're, we're dissecting, shall I say, with our words, we are finding things out that are helping people. And I think that's important because as I said, our day to day life, quality of life is so important. And that's the one thing about this topic, quality of life, feeling good, because as I've noticed, you know, I'm not like I was in my teens or my 20s where I could recover very quickly. In my mid 40s, things have all of a sudden started changing. Right. And so you're trying to hold on to the fountain of youth just a little bit so you can keep active, (laughs) you can keep moving and grooving and keep functioning at a good level without dealing with pain, but also not poisoning yourself with medications or or other ways, as you know, when I was dealing with uh, my chronic cervical issues, I had six back fusions, and Lord knows, I was, besides doing the doctor stuff, just the mainstream popping pills. Hey, Len, and, hey, Len uh, here's and, a bowl full of opiates. And, and that's <laughs> right, exactly it? where I was going with it. I, I, was, I was taking the pills, I was doing all this, and all of a sudden, my stomach wasn't feeling well. Besides, yeah. my back was being masked, and it wasn't getting any better, and I wasn't recovering. I also was starting to get sick in other ways. Mm-hmm. So I had to change my whole direction, and just like finding your frequency, I had to find my frequency in the right direction on the on the yeah. human side of things we were at that uh, uh event that was at asu west that taros put on and they had a whole panel uh of experts they were uh doctors and caregivers uh that were were talking all about this whole opioid epidemic and one of the things that it sh- that struck me for that panel was just that Exactly what you just explained. People go to the doctor, they have surgery, they have whatever uh, ailment that they have repaired, uh, fixed, like your back got fused, right? And they immediately say, all right, here, you just got out of surgery. Here's some ibuprofen and some opiates. Go home and rehabilitate. Oh, yeah. You're popping the oxy like they're, you know, Pez. <laughs> well, um. and, then, and then you end up, then you end up with an addiction. Right, uh, that you have to figure out what to do with, and a lot of times people go even to the extreme where they're going, you know, I can't afford these pills anymore, and then the next thing you know, they're buying heroin or something else to fulfill that need. And if we can just change our thinking a little bit and change our societal structure in a manner where we can uh, 
do something holistic from the beginning first before we go straight to like you know the hard stuff <laughs> well, right and i think there's there's a lot to this topic of uh I, I call it the homeopathic world because there's a lot of doubters but here's the thing but to start in this industry of the cbd and and what i it's done for me i'm a testimonial and i'm very proud about it because actually i've overcome a lot a lot of ailments a lot of yeah. sickness a lot of injuries uh in my mid-40s hiking about 10 miles on an average a day uh training the way i do and, and as i said it was a total 180 and how i was feeling 10 years ago so it, it's a remarkable story but also this industry and how it's blossoming and mm -hmm. the technology and everything that's behind it and also learning and educating oneself about how wonderful <laughs> it is but also on how difficult it is for this expansion of this product fortunately the public the public overwhelmingly is turning mm -hmm. around and seeing the light and, and following the lead on this and pushing the uh, the suits in uh, like DC for instance yeah. to uh, push forward and get away from this and stop poisoning ourselves and going with the pharmaceutical companies yeah it's really good to see that there's some actual change finally happening after this discussion's been going on for what seems like the better part of probably 10 years with the whole opioid crisis. And, you know, I bet you our guest has some great insights on uh, those particular items being in the space. Uh, so I want to introduce our guest for the day. Uh, Kaylin Baird is the COO and founder of Epic. Uh, Epic is a proprietary technology uh, of making isolate and distillate extracts into a water-soluble liquid. And uh, he is a jack-of-all-trades, master of many, uh, and has a passion for the field of nanotechnology. Kalen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you being on. Uh, you know, before we get, you know, super deep into the nitty-gritty of uh, CBD, the opioid crisis, what your guys' fantastic nanotechnology does, let's just take a quick step backwards and tell us a little bit about who Kalen is, how you found your frequency, and why you decided to follow the path of uh, water-soluble nanotechnology and CBD. Yeah, so um, I, I started down the quest in the medical cannabis industry about 10 years ago. And I kind of departed from a, a mundane life in the financial sector. Uh, I was going through a rough breakup and, and ne needed a, a change of course. And so a friend, you know, invited me to come learn how to cultivate medical cannabis with him under the, you know, California Prop 215 uh, medical cooperative model. And then we started uh, multiple uh, di different cultivation sites and empowered people to sort of find their own you know, way, way to use cannabis for their own needs. And um, a couple years later, my mom uh, found out that she got diagnosed with uh, stage one breast cancer. And I used some of my uh, knowledge in the, in the medical cannabis sector to cultivate and extract uh, a high CBD uh, compound for her and then made uh, a capsule available and, and, a, and a topical ointment that she was, she was applicating every single day. And to her doctor's surprise, she was actually able to be uh, diagnosed uh, cancer-free after nine months and uh, wasn't, wasn't using any chemo chemotherapy um, or any other additives, just a, just a healthy diet and cannabis in, in, in her regimen. And so that kind of prompted me to get into this, this field. And when Prop 64 passed, we figured that we would get into the, get into the market and make these products more available for people. Um, and that's kind of where it started. And then as we were doing research and as we were, you know, investigating the therapeutic uh, efficacy of, of CBD and other cannabinoids, we discovered that, you know, CBD is inherently 
uh, has a very low bioavailability. And what that means is that even though you're taking these awesome oils and compounds, your body isn't converting all of that into, um, into a format that can be used. And so Water Soluble started the, the platform to, make, to solve some of those problems. Wow, that's pretty cool. You know, as a user of uh, CBD products on a daily basis, uh, lend those. I was actually out yesterday because my back was just all locked up. And I literally spent the whole entire day putting topical on, you know, every couple of hours. Uh, and then also uh, in ingesting uh, CBD uh, as well as some THC. So a one-to-one product on the ingestible. And uh, I woke up this morning and my back was not locked up. All of my, uh, all of my uh, uh, swelling had gone down in the back. And that was the only treatment that I gave myself uh, other than rest. And so, you know, when you talk about somebody not even having chemo and just with a steady flow of healthy diet and, you know, a CBD uh, regimen and 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 then getting uh, diagnosed cancer free. I mean, that right there is a testament to, you know, the the strength of the, the product, the strength of of what it can do for you. And knowing that it's being done in a natural way and not some synthetic lab created, you know, opioid. I mean, it's amazing. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, our bodies have an uh, endogenous endocannabinoid system that, that we're born with. And the history of this system that, you know, we've evolved with uh, using cannabis for, for probably millions of years dates back to um, these, these, these Pakistani farmers where they were actually consuming the meat and the milk of, of grazing animals that were consuming these wild cannabis plants. And, and you know, symbiotically, we probably developed this endocannabinoid system based on our environment and these other animals that we're, you know, consuming. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool that we already have the platform built into us for, for, for healing with these, with these compounds. That's a fantastic point. Uh, what the animals that we eat, what they eat, affects us. If you think about it, because I was in the agriculture industry for several years, besides being in the broadcast industry this past 20, 25 years. And one thing that I definitely do know, what we're putting in our system that is getting us sick here modern day, day to day, when you go to the grocery store and, you, and you're picking your foods out, and depending what that cow or whatever animal you're eating, chicken is put into it, uh, whether it be chemicals or whatnot, it can affect us on our internal workings and we can get sick. And that's a fascinating thing because, as I said, have you seen any studies if, for instance, a cow grazes off a field of hemp, let's say, and would that better serve humanity, bottom line, feeding your livestock that versus the treated feed that is out there or the uh, Bermuda grass or whatever that has the pesticides? I would imagine so, yes, but you're the expert. Let me ask you that. Well, I, I definitely think that, you know, what, what animals eat is a huge part of, of how we get secondary chemicals or even nutrients. Right. I mean, the, the ability for a cow uh, in the summer to, to, to graze on, on a wild, you know, field can influence the color, you know, and the nature of the milk versus like a winter grazing or a synthetic food. And so it's, there's absolutely a, a correlation. And, and we're finding that a lot of, um, you know, the, the cancers and the allergies that people are developing, these insensitivities, um, do stem from pesticides and from other, you know, uh, chemicals that are sprayed or are oversprayed. And we're finding that, you know, uh, prevalence of cancer and, and other um, intolerances 
at a much earlier age than before. So yeah, real quick, yeah. Uh, this final follow-up <laughs> is is the, 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 the feed resource in and what you're putting your body, it's a whole circle if, if you think about it. And, and I, I sit here just and I think about these things because I'm such an advocate in this way about besides what we're putting into ourselves, what the animal that we're eating we're putting into, it all, it all connects. It's all interconnection. And that's oh, the sure. one thing, that's why it's such an epidemic. Well, and you know, one of the things that, I had always had this, not not an idea, but something that I, I believe is fact, but I think that same thing happens with uh, extracting CBD too, right? You have hemp that's grown in the ground and that ground and the water that is used to give nutrients to those plants when they're being grown has an effect on its CBD production, how, how clean that CBD is for you. Cause when they extract it, I'm, I'm talking strictly about hemp right now, right? Because um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to follow this around uh, to you, Kalen, but that's how that happens with the extraction of CBD from like hemp seeds. And so that's why I'm such a big advocate of getting my CBD from cannabis, not from hemp, only because a lot of the people who are growing cannabis are growing it in a manner where they're growing it like indoors, like a science project, and all of the variables are completely controlled. And so you know that it's a high grade, not chemically laden. It could be completely organic. It's not an old right? field, no, for no, instance, no with pesticides. pesticides. Right, exactly. And so I think that in the space when you're creating CBD and, and those compounds, the best method of extracting it, right, is coming from the cannabis plant, which is medically produced versus, you know, an outdoor crop of hemp in an open field that could be contaminated, who knows, right? Absolutely. You know, um, hemp and cannabis are both, uh, you know, aggregate collectors, right? So, so it's, they're, they're definitely absorbing whatever's in the air, in the soil, in the water, and, you know, you're finding these deposits in, in the actual plant tissue. And um, it's an interesting point that you mentioned about getting CBD from, from the cannabis side versus the hemp side. And I, th- I think that you're you know, predominantly correct um, in that assumption, only really because the, the cannabis industry is much, much more controlled. And so, you know, everything that goes through, especially in California, everything that goes through the supply chain of, uh, of, of, of any cannabis product, whether it be a cultivated product or an extracted product or an infused product, undergoes third-party lab testing that's extremely rigorous. And now we have, uh, we've implemented phase three testing in California where um, anything has to also test clear of heavy metals. And you're finding a lot of heavy metals in, in different soils, you know, that are, that are treated uh, with, with, with pesticides or uh, other contaminants. And, and those are actually showing up in trace amounts. Monsanto's messing with my weed, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, um, you know, even, even uh, vaporizer cartridges are actually showing, you know, uh, heavy, heavy metals leaching into, into the medicine. And so it's, it's definitely important to know where your source is coming from. It, it's definitely a fascinating yeah. topic because the ground soil aspect of it is, has been up for debate for such a long time. And as I said, being me being around the farming industry, I know a lot of these fields that are out and available that folks are, are prospecting out there in the, in the marketplace to grow. Let's to go back to the hemp side of things. They've been old fields that have been used for Bermuda, alfalfa, cotton, uh, soybean production. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And who's to say what they treated that with and how has it affected the ground soil? Correct. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. 
All right. So that's that's a, a just a one other element that is always in discussion about uh, this topic of CBD. And when did it all start? Now we went from the farming and everything. What, did did they, when did the acorn hit you in the head? I'm I'm curious about this because I know in, in southern I was actually born and raised in Southern California, and it's been a wide open marketplace. It opened up what in the late mid to late 1990s, if my memory serves me right, when cannabis was on the bill to be legalized, and it started opening up in. And, and California, but when did it start for you? When did it? When did this hit you? Yeah, so um, it kind of hit me uh, in 2012 when I started this, you know, collective uh, model and trying to help patients uh, have access to to this medicine. And that was under the you know Compassionate Use Act, which was a continuation of the 1996 uh, passage of Prop 215. But when, but when it really hit me was when, you know, the voters of California legalized cannabis to be a, a recreational product. It really opened up a clear-cut path for me to sort of take that passion of wanting to educate people and provide access to clean medicine into a much more regulated market. And, you know, the, we've been working on getting a cannabis license here in California and in the meantime, we can focus on, you know, CBD that's, that's a much more broad, um, you know, nationwide ability to help people. And so, you know, that's kind of when it, it hit me last year when my, when my partner, Diana, and I said, hey, let's, let's, let's team up and let's do this. And in doing so, we, we've been working on, you know, taking things to the next level because education is, is kind of the biggest sector that is missing in the in the cannabis field right now and so that's what we're trying to solve um some of the some of the misinformation about cannabis some of the medical benefits of cannabis and the delivery systems uh that are going to make cannabis more effective for people so that that all happened to answer your question uh last july was really when it, the acorn hit me on the head <laughs> yeah and you know you you sorry you, that was a roundabout <laughs> you talk about delivery mechanism right and i'm i, I want to get into this because um there was something in your guys's pr stuff that was sent over to our station that really struck with me um and it was just a simple statement of oil and water don't mix right right oil and water don't mix when i go to the dispensary and you know here in arizona we don't have uh, uh legalized recreational but we do have a medical program and which i am a part of um and so and, and i take tinctures on a daily basis uh, on a one-to-one right which really helped me out and i noticed that that stuff is super oily and it takes I don't know, man, sometimes an hour for that compound to actually start to work where your body feels it. I start to feel relief in the lower back, um, which is the reason I have my card in the first place. And it just makes so much sense knowing that our bodies are like 70 some odd percent water and we're asking an oil to mix with our bodies to give us healing. And so when I read that portion, it just like hit me like an acorn in the head, <laughs> right? I'm going, right. I'm going, man, that just makes so much sense. If you had a, a way to take, uh, you know, CBD and THC and put it into something that was water soluble, uh, then that would definitely uh, allow that delivery system to be a lot better. But is, is it not isn't every extraction method right now almost uh, have to do with some type of an oil-based outcome in the end, ex- uh, except for like maybe a, uh, like a vape cart extract, right? Those are done with CO2 extractions. Um, so let's just talk yeah. a little bit about those delivery systems. And, you know, obviously not you, you not delivering uh, any information on your company's secret sauce, but, you know, what makes that stuff so much different uh, from what we have now to what you guys are developing? 
Yeah, so uh, that's a really good question. Um, so, so cannabis, you know, oils are, are oils, right? So they're nonpolar compounds. And, and through the extraction process, you need to use um, another nonpolar compound, whether that be ethanol or whether that be CO2 or whether that be, you know, any other variety of, of, of organic solvent that can dissolve out uh, the oils and leave behind any waters because, um, you know, water is essentially a polar compound and it will not dissolve oil. It's just like if you put, you know, olive oil into a glass of water, you're going to see it float and separate. So you, you do have to use extraction methods that end up with an oil-based by, byproduct. And to be honest, the, the technology behind the acorn on the head moment that I'm using is, uh, is actually widely used in, in food and pharmaceutical sectors to, uh, to deliver uh, nutritional compounds that exhibit poor aqueous solubility and, and make them more compatible with our, with our body's system that's, that's, that's water-based. So that's the platform. Uh, vaporizer cartridges also use the same uh, process as, as any other extraction technique. They're just putting a, a pure cannabis oil, sometimes mixed with other terpenes, which are also somewhat nonpolar as well. And those will, will be packaged and then be put into a vaporizer cartridge. You'll smoke that. So pretty much our delivery system is, is, is everything except for smoking. Right? So, we, so we can put our water-soluble compound into an edible product, into a topical product, into even um, an inhaler, um, into a spray, um, anything that has a water-based you know, delivery system. Interesting, because uh, the yeah. topical... Uh, for what I do, I mean, I hike, like I shared to you uh, in the beginning of this segment, uh, between 300 and 400 miles a month. I'm, that's no joke. I'm an avid outdoors hike guy. I'm always on the trail when I'm not on the microphone. So bottom line for me, what the most important thing is I utilize the topicals. I go through a bunch of topicals a week. And the fact that the one thing that I have discovered and what, what, what you're discussing is fascinating to me because this is going to help me. Meaning, when I put my topicals on, I have to wear special clothes because I turn all greasy and uh, it honestly has to be its, its own yeah. outfit uh, because you're, you're going to have clothes. I mean, it's, I have it's that like, same problem. Yeah, it's like going <laughs> and pa- painting a house. You don't want to wear your nice your, your Sunday best when you go on uh, where you, when you put your topical on. So a water base makes sure. most sense to me because it's going to actually go into your system. It's going to suck up into your system and it's not going to get all over you and be messy and you're going to have the therapy. And, and the, you're going to feel great. Well, and not to mention the right. waste byproduct of that, too. Like, how much of that topical solution that you're putting on your it's shoulder floating, or your basically. knee or whatever is, like, just absorbing into your pants, right? Or in, in, or you're not even, it's not even usable. Well, <laughs> and, and here's the question. Is, is with perspiration in particular, I've noticed that probably I'm wasting some of this wonderful... Uh, treatment, this medicine, is that a fact or fiction? When when somebody uh, perspires, and we live here in the desert, it's it's not cold. It's it's a hot place when you're hiking out there, especially this time of year. But is am I wasting this wonderful resource by putting this on before I'm hiking? Is or not wasting, but a certain percentage lost? Well, I I don't think that the the perspiration aspect is really what's causing the loss. I think that inherently. The sort of macro molecule size combined with it being an oil compound, you're actually getting low penetration from the get-go no matter what. Okay. So okay. I, don't think, I don't think that perspiration is particularly the, the mechanism that's causing the loss. Um, the, the water-based formula can be put into, like, let's say, an aloe vera gel, right, that, that's going to evaporate on your skin. It, it, it's going to leave you feeling, you know, much more 
uh, less greasy, and then you're going to be getting uh, better penetration. These, these uh, nano-sized particles are really the sort of um, the secret sauce in being able to penetrate through uh, skin layers and, and penetrate through the hair follicles themselves and, uh, and get deeper in, into that subdermis. Because I've been sitting here thinking about this for months, and finally, uh, coming into the show today, I was like, I finally can have somebody who's an expert to answer this question for me, because a lot of people on the street don't know. <laughs> they, they don't know the breakdown if, if I'm losing my medicine by doing this. But I, I kept uh, administering, because before I would go on the trail and hike, it would make my joints and my body parts feel better. I'd feel loosened up, warmed up. I'd feel great. And, but as I said, when I'm on the trail and doing this, I don't want to waste any of this. This, to me, is, is the best discovery of my universe, uh, without <laughs> a doubt. Gold. It the, really the is. The nectar of the yeah. gods. <laughs> well, I mean, considering, okay, I'm 44 years old and I'm doing this, I, I'm actually in better physical shape than when I was 24. So it does have this amazing, amazing effect in so many diverse ways. And now that's just the physical aspect of it. Uh, we, I mean, we can continue on at, with the topicals. And to me, the, the delivery also, the topicals, Versus ingesting, how does that technically break down? Where where is it more specific? Uh, the internal workings, obviously, into your organs and guts in that way. But your topical, are you still neutralizing the same way? And how it breaks down is, I guess, my question. What is the difference between the edible breakdown yeah, so, versus the topical? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, anything that you you know consume orally is going to have to get broken down through you know basically five parts of digestion. You know what what you can absorb through the enzymes and um, you know, uh, gastric juices in your mouth, and then your stomach, and then your small intestine, then your large intestine, then the colon. So kind of, you know, and then there's there's the liver, which we call first pass metabolism, that's actually enzymatically uh, trying to degrade the THC or CBD into a water-soluble metabolite so that you can actually clear it from your body and get it out. So there's really a complex process uh, that's involved in digestion. In terms of topical administration, you know, you're not going to be getting the same uh, delivery route. So you're not going to be getting, you know, liver processing. You're not going to be getting um, a lot of the uh, gastric degradation. Um, when it comes to oral, oral uh, consumption, bioavailability is really the, the main coefficient that, that we're looking to maximize and, and anyone should be really interested in because uh, there's a certain amount of loss associated with taking uh, drugs or compounds that exhibit, you know, poor bioavailability. What I mean by that is you're only getting a certain percentage, you know, maybe 30% maximum when you're taking sort of an oil tincture. Yeah. And the reason for that is, is your body has to essentially assign free fatty acids and, um, you know, gastric juices to, to encapsulate these, these oils and, and, and emulsify them so that they can be perfused into your cellular tissue. And depending on your diet, depending on, you know, uh, the composition of those of those oils, it, it can be a slow process. Caitlin, and, you know what? Let me let me uh, let me get you to hold that thought, and we're going to come back to the bioavailability component of the uh, the sure. CBD and the THC. Uh, guys, you guys are listening to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're learning about cannabis nanites. Do you like that? I just came up with that. <laughs> it's very good. Take a quick break. We'll be right back right after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, we're talking Whitetail Habitat Solutions. Joining us is Lee and Tiffany Lakoski from Crush with Lee and Tiffany, plus Gordon Whittington, editor-in-chief of North American Whitetail and charter team member and regular contributor to North American Whitetail TV. Finally, Austin Matheny, a contestant on the Brigade Race to the Hudson. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you're tuned into Finding Your Frequency with hosts Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. Connect with the show. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Treasure right here on Finding Your Frequency, coming back from the commercial break with my co-host for the day, Mr. Len Novin. We have a fantastic guest that we've been interviewing, uh, Kaylin Baird is with us uh, from Epic, a proprietary technology of making isolate and distillate extracts into water-soluble liquid or powder for CBD and THC-based products. I know you guys are still working with your CBD stuff, uh, getting your THC uh, cannabis uh, license fulfilled in California. So uh, we'll have to do a a follow-up once you guys get that going so we can kind of see how this process is moving along once you get into the THC component. But, you know, Kaylin, we were, uh, just before the commercial break, you were kind of breaking down for us uh, some of the components and differentiators between the uh, oral ingestation and topical deployment of the CBD. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and continue that portion and you know let us know uh, about those differences. Yeah, so um, the uh, oral oral administration route is obviously going to be much more of a systemic you know kind of effect, thera- therapeutic effect. You're going to get it everywhere. And topical, the main difference is that you kind of pinpoint uh, those CB1 receptors I- exactly on the site of you know, acute inflammation. 
Now, with the uh, topical, back on the topical real quick, and I, I, I did uh, on the break give you kind of a heads up on this one because I, 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 this was just a hunch I did this, all right? This is just uh, my theory of trying to treat my sicknesses or, or ailments. The topicals, I always put on soft tissue. I go right after the glands, my neck, under my armpit, under certain areas where there, there's sitting glands that are to the surface of the skin to put the CBD, the, the medical rub, on me. It, does that work at all, or am I just uh, strange? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as close to the target as you can get, you know, is, is uh, going to achieve a maximum of, um, effect, you know, effectiveness. Sure. Okay, yeah, because as I said, anytime there's a, a gland, for instance, uh, uh, I, I speak for a living. I do a lot of microphone work. So bottom line, I, it's been actually remarkably well because the past uh, two years ago before I started using this treatment, I would have a lot of issues with my throat. I would have vocal issues, uh, coughing, whatever. The past two years since I've been doing the, the CBD treatment with the, with the uh, topicals, nothing. It's been wonderful. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, know, it just it, it, it proves its point. It, it does work. Now, have uh, you guys ever seen any effects with, uh, with the animals that uh, you guys have um, encountered? Because yeah. that's one of the sort of the biggest both telling of signs of the effectiveness because animals don't have a placebo effect. And so I've noticed a huge, um, you know, therapeutic effect for certain dogs that I've been treating with mm-hmm. CBD and their ability to move around their ability to get up and, you know, go, go do things even at, even at, you know, 14, 15 year old dogs, we're seeing effects. So, yeah. So, uh, my wife and I have uh, a Datsund and as most people know, I hope you guys know this, but Datsuns are very susceptible to back problems. They have a disc issue in their lower vertebrate, which at certain times, if that disc slips out, it can literally render their back legs, um, like, uh, uh, not completely useless, but pretty much paralyzed and also makes the dog a little incontinent as well. And so it causes a little bit of a problem. And my wife and I had taken the dog when she had this problem and she's about 12 years old, older dog. Um, and has had this problem for the last five or six years. And generally it was like, okay, the dog has got the, her back's locked up. She's dragging her back feet around. She can't walk. And so it's a trip to the vet and the vet gives you, you know, um, uh, some steroids, tramadol, right? Which is a pain reliever. Uh, and then also some kind of an anti-inflammatory, right? And then it's like, okay, put the dog in the kennel, let her sit there for three days um, while this thing unlocks. And, and then, you know, and then generally in a week or so, she can walk again. Um, and so, well, we stopped doing that. And we went and got um, some CBD, just straight, uh, strictly CBD tinctures for the dog uh, and started that regimen and giving it to her every single day. And we've gone now almost a year um, and the dog hasn't had a relapsed cycle problem with her back. Um, and the only other different thing that we we had been doing, but we, we did this before, we, we used swimming when it's warm enough to help her rehabilitate her back. Um, and so we did find that swimming along with the medications from the vet definitely got her to, the, uh, to be better. But CBDs with swimming got her to the same point faster. So it it's definitely amazing. does work. And I know, Len, you've had some experiences with that too, yeah? Yeah, well, with, uh, especially uh, I have golden retrievers with uh, chronic hip dysplasia. I do know the CBD definitely uh, takes the edge off uh, with uh, dogs dealing with that chronic ailment, as well as the equestrian world. Uh, a lot of horses that have been race horses uh, that or pack horses, for instance, as you know, I'm a, I'm a horse guy. Uh, high doses of, of CBD on these joints. Uh, have been rather remarkable. I've yeah. witnessed it uh, right on the ground here. And it's, it's another thing that uh, I think this is a great uh, point of dialogue for people because the animals don't lie. 
No, there, I, there's no, 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 there's no gain with that other than they feel better. Yeah, my cousin is a world class uh, horse farrier, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say world class, he shooed California Chrome in the Kentucky Derby. Okay, so that's world class, like world class farrier. And they use CBD on uh, the the horses' hooves. Right, mm-hmm. their hooving area, um, because the horses that run, right, and they're they're constantly pounding their feet, so they get a lot of inflammation and a lot of that stuff. And instead of um, using um, some some stuff called butte, right, that's actually illegal in the horse world, it's a uh, painkiller. Right? You can only use it in certain in certain times up, up to a race, right? You can't administer it, uh, but the CBD does the same thing for their feet to sw- uh, bring the swelling down, and it's not illegal in the racing world because it's all natural, so you can you know, supply that to those horses right up until they're about to go to the starting line. See, but the thing that's remarkable about the CBD versus the Butte, Butte is like taking Vicodin. It's a painkiller. It will mask it. CBD will reduce the inflammation. Now, this leads on to a question for Kalen right here. The inflammation aspect of it with CBD, how does the human body, the receptor, how does this all work? Because really, in treating the pain from everything I read, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the reduction in inflammation is what makes the pain start to go away. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, so... so CBD and THC and other cannabinoids and terpenes actually activate that endocannabinoid system that we talked about earlier. This is an endogenous system. Everybody's born with it. And there's, there's two receptors particularly that we've identified, and there may be a third, but those are CB1 and CB2 receptors. And those CB1 receptors are located in, you know, in your brain, in your, um, in your you know, sensory nervous system, and you know, those are the main ones that are counteracting inflammation. You know, these CB2 receptors are thought to be more um, you know, re- uh, resident in the immune system. And so uh, the Im- immunosuppressive qualities of CB2 receptors also can be activated by these cannabinoids. Right. So you guys are still kind of getting uh, additional inputs from research studies and things that are happening and, and more information is, is still coming into you guys, which is great. I mean, got to keep doing the research to keep getting more information to figure out the best and effective uh, manner of getting this stuff out, right? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the research is, is at this point, somewhat anecdotal. Um, there hasn't been enough uh, years behind legalization to sort of open up these, these research institutions to feel comfortable doing peer-reviewed studies. And, you know, accessing these compounds has, has, has been difficult up until very recently. Mm-hmm. And as you know, these studies, you know, take time. Uh, a lot of the groundbreaking research is coming out of Israel and Germany. And so I think uh, the United States only has, you know, one facility in, the, in, the, in Mississippi, at the University of Mississippi, where they're actually allowed to conduct research um, on, on THC mm-hmm. specifically, and they're not even allowed to use oils. And so those are the only concentrated form that can be reproducible in a peer-reviewed study. You can't use buds. And so there's just there's a there's a there's a huge movement uh, towards research. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to get that fixed because there's some uh, potential for this medicine that hasn't even been reached yet. Uh, I I have a specific kind of question. You know, you talk about the inflammation and that kind of thing. Earlier, we were talking about uh, like the opioid crisis, right? You have all these people who are taking opioids for pain, and you know, let let's be honest, there is a level of pain that one can that one can have that it doesn't matter how much CBD or THC you ingest, it just does not touch it. But at the same time, having have those 
uh, you know, those opioids in your system over a long period of time, you know, can't be that good for your body. And then if you're dealing with like neuropathy or some of those types of more serious ailments, you know, what would you tell somebody that, you know, they, they don't, they don't want to take the opiates anymore. They want to figure out a more natural remedial way to help with their neuropathy and to get them off of those, uh, those opioids. But they also know that there is no amount of CBD or THC that they can take that will help relieve their pain in the same manner that the opioid did. So what in that spec or what kind of studies or what experience do you have um, that would help in a situation that's a little bit more uh, significant than like Len and I's situation? Well, so, I mean, it's, I, I can't really give any specific, you know, advice or claims about, you know, any of the, any of those, um, you know, serious chronic, chronic pain ailments. I mean, those are things that, you know, I don't wish on anybody, but, but people do, do uh, deal with them. And I think it's really a, it's a well-rounded approach. I mean, I, I've personally seen um, really, really good uh, effects from even just yoga, mindfulness, cannabis. You know, it's kind of a well-rounded approach, like stretching, I mean, for, for, for certain things. Some, some, some things are just never going to be solved, you know, and, and cannabis works differently for everybody. So I know people that, you know, don't feel any effects from it. I know people that it's changed their lives. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's a much more complex question. I don't know how to, how to answer that with it with like a silver bullet. Um, yeah, I know it was a pretty tough question to ask. I know. I just, I think about all these people that are just ingesting all of these opioids and I'm like, well, if we could just help them to get, you know, off, right. off of that in some way, way, shape or form. And you're right. There are a lot of people um, who CBD doesn't work for them. I haven't met anybody that THC doesn't affect them though. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. CBD though, for sure. You know, I, uh, I had, uh, my mom is a, 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 a cosmetologist for a whole lot of years. I'm not going to say how many she'll get mad at me but um she's still working and she has arthritis in her hands and i'm like mom let me get you some cbd right and we got her the cbd doesn't do anything for her hands my grandmother on the other hand who has had a knee replacement who's 91 years old right won't leave the house without cbd cream in her purse because she, like when we started doing the cbd on her knee um she, after about, I don't know, 14 days of applying it twice a day, was able to walk without her cane. No, that's like my mother. My mom, arthritis, both hands. Uh, it took her about, uh, I think, five to seven days loading. I mean, it's it's like a supplement. You got to yeah. load it. I mean, there was so many I took in my bodybuilding years. You take for five to seven days. All of a sudden, you notice the results. It was the same thing for her. Her hands are starting to move again, where she basically really couldn't grab onto things. She was having uh, complete trouble. I mean, yeah. she's about 80 years old, almost 80. Sorry, Mom. I outed you. <laughs> um, but it's true. I mean, but when you're dealing with that, with, with the age, and that's one other thing about, about CBD that's so fantastic is for our elderly community, what it can do with some of these ailments that they're dealing with, and all of which, most of which, when it comes to the physicality, like opening jars and little things like that, with the arthritis, with rheumatism, with all these different things they, they have to battle through, the best thing about it is CBD is anti-inflammation. It's all inflammation-based. Yeah. yeah, I mean, stop, stop taking all those pills. <laughs> <laughs> right, in a healthier way. Real quick, I mean, I, I must ask this this question, and it's going to be long-winded. We'll probably have to continue on. The, 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 the push-pull with the government, and I, I, of course, I got to go down this road because it, it's always been, it's a battle right now. It's a PR battle as well. The CBD in the cannabis world is really battling the pharmaceutical industry, but the problem is, is the pharmaceutical industry, as we all know, is in bed with a lot of politicians, and we have to fight through this. Now, 
with somebody who's actually in the industry, who's a business leader, a, an innovator like yourself, Kalen, my bottom line is this. When is full legalization on the cannabis side going to happen? Do you have any projections? Play armchair quarterback for me. Yeah, I think it's uh, that's definitely a hard uh, a hard question because, you know, I'm not really really keyed into the inner workings of, you know, big pharma and 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 politics and we know that there's there's a lot of lobbying there. So, I think that you'll start seeing um strides uh for legalization once once these bigger corporations have a way to, you know, a path forward to make money off of it. And I think that the intellectual property is 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 really hard because this is a plant compound, right? And so you have to synthesize it in a different way. You have to create some something that's that's pr- truly proprietary um, in order to have a path forward to monetize that. And um, currently, there are two pharmaceutical companies that have been have been successful getting through clinical trials with the FDA. And those are uh, two companies uh, or one company, uh, GW Pharma. They make a, a, a compound called Sativex and a Pedialex approved for rare forms of epilepsy. And so, you know, you're starting to see some strides. I think it'll be, I think it'll be years, okay. honestly, before federal, yeah. federal prohibition is over. Well, you said years, um, not decades, which, which <laughs> we're ha- at least heading the right direction. Because one thing, I, I, think. I, I think the big guys are tipping their hands just a little bit because I've seen certain cigarette companies go that direction where they're diving into the world of cannabis a little that's, bit and testing the field. That's the scariest thing for me about the whole... And alcohol. You know, and alcohol, yeah. The, the whole proliferation and movement of the cannabis and it being more widely accepted to the masses is fantastic and it's great. And there's a lot of states that are decriminalizing and all of that great stuff. But my biggest fear is... The companies like Monsanto, who have billions and billions of dollars, pharmaceutical companies who have billions and billions of dollars, what is going to happen to the cannabis industry if they get their hands into the cannabis industry? It will literally kill all the all the good stuff all the people just like yep. Kalen who right who have a company who they want to do good they want to educate people they want to they want to do things the right way, whereas I don't trust those other companies to do things the right way yeah i mean I, I don't think you know. I mean, I think that, you know, big, bad corporations are, are really only bad because they're, they're only profit-driven, you know. And so that's, that's really the, the distinction between some of the smaller companies and some of the, the huge companies that have to answer towards, you know, their shareholders. You know, we're a privately funded company, and so, you know, it's just, it's just me and a couple other people, and we make decisions based on the sort of the ethos of what we want to do. And, and I think that once you start getting up into these mega publicly traded cor- corporations, the ethos is just different, and I don't think there's anything necessarily necessarily wrong with that. That's just that's just the way our society is built. That's the way our economy is structured. That's capitalism. It's just it's the world we live in. Yeah, but the scary so thing is, that is that company can just come over and knock on your door and be like, "Hey, I want you to stop doing whatever you're doing because I want to control it." Here, Kalen, here's a hundred million dollar check. I'm buying your company. It's it's totally possible. It's totally possible, and and, and I think that the the beautiful thing about cannabis and the, and the way it's so different. Is that this is an this is an open source medicinal platform, so people can cultivate their own medicine. You know, you know, seeds are available, clones are available. Like you can always get the medicine that you need. You know, from the right source. Uh, the industry, you know, is is moving fast. You know, we're we're seeing super large you know cultivation, and and you are going to see big business coming in and sort of gobbling that up. That's just what they do. So it's. It's, I, I think it's analogous to like the craft beer you know, model and alcohol where you're going to see much more smaller players 
trying to deliver a much more sophisticated and repeatable uh, experience versus the the mass commoditization of of cannabis like traded like ethanol would be traded you know there's 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 gonna be two sides to that coin in the future I dig what you just said because it's all geared towards the small farmer or the home-based farmer or the small business owner, which I'm a big-time advocate for, mom and pop. And I think, uh, is, is the cannabis industry, in your opinion, is it going to more of a, like you said, home farming, home-based in its way where you're growing your own plants? Do you think it's going to go more that direction overall? Because, I mean, obviously, obviously, if you grow your own plants, let's say, you control your soil, you control your crop, you control what goes into it, you control everything so you know you're getting the highest quality and you just go out, buy your seeds yeah. or whatnot. I mean, do you see the, the actual business going that direction? I do. I, I, I definitely see, like, the world that we live in today is, is, a, is a vastly different world than we had, you know, the model that we had in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And so, and so this, this idea that, you know, people can kind of, you know, like uh, the craft beer movement, it's, su- it's super big. I mean, I, I keep making that analog, but it's, it's super important because, you know, people want control over their, you know, their medicine. They, they want to have fun with it. I think being able to throw some plants in the backyard and, you know, harvest those plants, you know, know where they came from. I think that there's a full circle kind of movement that, that's going to be happening um, as opposed to just this large scale, big corporations and com- commoditization of the plant. I think that's moving that way. Len, what we'll do is we'll just go on Amazon. They sell these things. They're called like a bio cube, mm-hmm. right? And then you can grow your plants in cocoa core, right? Which is a ground up coconut husks, <laughs> right? And it comes with an LED light and everything you need. And it's literally a little grow box. And you can just put it in the corner of your house and you can grow four plants. And I you got can generate acreage, whatever you need. You know, it's, I have too hot, it's too hot outside oh, for, okay. for outdoor <laughs> plants here in, Arizona, in Phoenix anyways. I mean, I have compost. I have horses. I mean, we could have well, a so whole compost, farm going we, on. See, we can make all the nutrients that you need out of those uh, composts for, for I, these I plants. I have plenty right. of manure for you, buddy. <laughs> I do. Well, one thing I have learned I over think, my lifetime is um, if you feed plants with plants, plants do better. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I bet this is fascinating to me because at least the one thing overall, which we, we've dropped the ball as a society, in my opinion, is like our food resources. What we're putting into ourselves, and I, I, as I said, once again, I was in the ag industry for a long time. What they've done in mass farming and what has done to humanity when it comes to the human being, how sick we've become because of what the processing is, for instance, or where you're getting your food or your meat from. So therefore, that's the one I think fail safe, and especially having Kaylin on here, somebody in, within the industry, this protects the population on putting quality into your system versus poisoning oneself due to uh, perhaps greed. What would you say? Right. Like, how, well, how, I mean, how many people grow their own lettuce and tomatoes? And, we know, should whatever, get back right? to that, because though. I mean, uh, that's the thing. We should get back should. to home-based farming. Because if, if there's some big destabilizing, you know, entity that comes into the economy or comes into, you know, the price of oil rises and shipping gets altered or who knows, you know, people need to be able to sort of learn how to feed themselves again. I think that they're relying on on the system to sort of take care of all of our our basic needs is is kind of a bad um, in, you know insurance policy that we've implemented as a society. Well, it's so certainly I'm a big fan of. 
It's sort of like, Kaylin, I hate to jump in. It's sort of like these master plan communities. They have all these beautiful green belts and everything. Instead of having green belts, they have community farms. Oh, How about that? That's funny that you brought that up. That was actually where my, my next comment was going. And part of the problem with why people can't get into the farming at their own home is, and I'll tell you exactly why, every new neighborhood that's built in America is built in a manner just like what we talked about earlier with all of these large construction mm-hmm. corporations wanting to make as much money as they possibly can and put as many little shoebox houses as they can uh-huh. on each plot of land and then not giving you a backyard big enough that you can even go out and pet your dog. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's unfortunate. And, and so that's kind of one of the things that we're also trying to solve, you know, in terms of our, in terms of our ingredient, right, which is infused by Epic. And so we want to be able to sort of outsource that technology to everybody to be able to put it into whatever food and know that it comes from a good source and know that, you know, for the people that can't grow their own, you know, their own cannabis, there's, there's definitely options. But, you know, getting back to that idea of, yeah. of the supply chain and understanding where your food, where your medicine comes from is one of the most important, you know, challenges that, that we're going to face. In the in the future, Kalen, we got about two minutes left. I want to thank you so much for joining the show today. But before we get to the close of the show, what is next future plans for Epic, and where can people find out more information about Epic and follow along the journey of what you guys are doing? Yeah, so we are we are just getting started. Um, uh, we are, we are going to be distributing products uh, wholesale and retail through the website infusedbyepic.com, and um, Basically, what this, what this idea is emerging into is a platform for the delivery of bioactive compounds, make them more available, you know, as you consume them so that you're not wasting your money and you're not just, you know, excreting them. And uh, this is going to be uh, a cross-section of, of fortified foods, of cannabinoids, of, of terpenoids, and other, you know, valuable molecules to give, uh, you know, like a, like a, like a multivitamin. Of, of, of different, you know, ingredients that are going to help people live better and feel better. And, you know, it's going to move into THC soon in California. So Awesome. Well, Kalen, we, we really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for sharing your expertise and, you know, breaking it down in layman's terms for the listeners to understand. We really appreciate it. Guys, make sure that you tune in every week to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can follow us on social media at Radio Ryan 1, at Jeff Spinney 2, at Voice America TRN, which is our Twitter handle. And of course, we can uh, check out the website, findingyourfrequency.net. And we're here every week, noon, right here on Fridays. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week on Finding Your Frequency.